You may be seated. Let's have the children come forward. A clown car. Okay. Am I on? Okay. You are on. So this morning, we have been going through, for the children's sermon, different names of God from the prophet Isaiah. So does anybody remember what the first one was we talked about the first week? Remember? Wonderful counselor. That's right. Wonderful counselor and how God gives us such good guidance and care. And he's with us in such a way that it's only God could give us such good guidance. And then last week we talked about mighty God. Mighty God. And how God never runs out of right power. So this week we're going to add another name that we're going to think about. But I'm going to tell you a story first. Okay? This story is going to involve real people, people that you may know. And nobody was permanently injured from this story. Okay? So you need to know that before I tell the story. Everybody was okay in the end. So once upon a time, there was a mom and a dad. I was the mom, Pastor Mike was the dad. And we were walking in Squirrel Hill, which is, isn't that a funny name, Squirrel Hill? It's a part of Pittsburgh. And we were walking to go to different shops. And it was the holidays, and everybody was happy, and we were having a good time. You can't tell this story. Oh, I'm telling this story. No. Okay, so we're walking along, and Sam and Sophie are running ahead of us. And they're allowed to go as far as the next light post. So they're running ahead. And Tessa's walking along next. And one of the things that our kids loved to do was to have mom hold one hand, dad hold the other hand, and then as we walked, we would do this. We'd swing them up. Have you ever had anybody do that with you? Swing you up? That's what we were doing. So we're walking along, and in the middle is Zechariah, but he's pretty small. He's about, like, two. So Pastor Mike has to kind of lean down, and because I'm shorter, I can stand up straight. And we're walking along, and we're seeing Raya. But Raya was a bit of a daredevil, and Raya liked to go really high. So as we go, Pastor Mike swings Raya back so hard, I kind of lose my grip on him. And then as he goes this way, Raya's little mittened hand slips right out of Pastor Mike's hand. And Raya goes sailing through the air and flips over and hits the sidewalk with a great big thud. And then there's this moment of silence. And people up and down the block are staring at this man who it looked like just chucked his kid like a bowling ball down the sidewalk. It was a moment. There was a gang of rough-looking teenagers on the corner, and they were all like this. <gasps> and there was a lady down here at the ATM machine, and she was just about to get her cash, and she was going, <gasps> oh, my word. And then Raya took that deep breath that when a little person gets hurt, they do. Dead <coughs> silence. I mean, cars came to a halt. And Raya goes, <gasps> and then what did he do next? He screamed. He screamed. He howled, and he had a but he was okay. Now, I tell you that, Raya, stand up and show everybody you're okay. He's not okay. <laughs> he says that's why he sleeps during church, because Daddy chucked him down the road. Now, do you think that Pastor Mike meant for that mitten to slip out of his hand? No, he felt really bad about it. Really, really bad about it. And of course, Raya was okay, and Pastor Mike was okay, but sometimes, do daddies make mistakes? Yeah, and that wasn't even really his fault, <laughs> because the problem was he was wearing a hand-me-down mitten, and it was too big. And Raya wanted the big swing, and he got it. Um, you know, so things happen. So do your mom and dads ever make mistakes? 
Yeah. Do they ever get tired? Do they, like, are they, like, are you trying to tell them something and they're, like, getting really sleepy? (laughs) (laughs) Has your mom or dad or anybody who takes care of you ever burned food? (laughs) Yeah, burned Mm. food. So, so moms and dads can make mistakes, right? Okay, so nothing like a little charcoal pie. It's good for digestion. So here's the deal, guys. God is not like our earthly moms and dads. Because God does not get tired. He doesn't forget to come pick you up. He doesn't accidentally let go of your hand or lose grip on it when you're flying through the air. God never accidentally knocks you off your seat or forgets to say good job or isn't as happy as he should be about how you've cleaned up the kitchen and then they're not appreciative and yet you work so hard and then they're just yelling at you because your room's dirty instead and that makes your feelings. God doesn't make any of those mistakes, does he? God is the kind of father who is absolutely perfect. He's always there when you need him. He has so much power. He can help you in any trouble. And the name for this morning is, well, I think Catherine knows. What was it? Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. And do you know what everlasting means? Always. Another way of saying it is he's your forever father. He will always be there for you. So in the same way that he never runs out of power, will he ever abandon you? Will he ever forsake you? Will he forget about you? No. He's your everlasting father. Now, I wanted to bring for today, because this would have been the perfect candy, everlasting gobstoppers, which is like a a candy that you can suck on for a really long time. But guess what? They didn't have everlasting gobstoppers at the grocery store, which I think makes them still be very happy. So instead, I have chocolate uh, mint creams for you. So everybody gets a Christmas ornament. I'm going to give that to them. No? Okay. We're going to pray, okay? So let me get my candies out. Okay, and then we're going to pray. All right, so let's pray. All right, Lord, thank you so much for each one of these kids. And thank you that you are a good, good father who will never leave us or forsake us or lose your grip on us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, so you can come get your candy and head back. Here you guys go. Those of you who are elders, actually, we can't dismiss the kids yet. Kids, oh, sit tight. Miss Nicole waited. Those of you who are elders, raise your hands. Who's currently serving? Okay. If you parents have any complaints about today's children's sermon, just see one of those elders and they can bring it forward. Yes, the candle. That's exactly what we forgot. The candle. Thank you, Catherine. Do you want to light our candle this morning then? All right. Come on up, Catherine. You know how there are stories in your family that just come up over and over and over again? Like dad trying to kill Raya in Squirrel Hill. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so what are we lighting candles about? This is Advent. And each week, there are four weeks of Advent. And each week, we light a candle as we wait for the birth of Christ, which is our center candle. 
The idea during Advent is this idea of light and dark. It's one of the themes of Advent. And as we light more candles, more light grows and we can see more. So I'm going to light you up here. So first candle was for, what was the first one for? Wonderful counselor, right? Okay, so let's light the first candle. That one right there. There you go. That easy. The second candle was for mighty God. And then the third candle is everlasting Father. Fantastic. Okay. Now we just pull that back. All right, guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. I don't know if that's a bad idea, isn't it? All right. Let us take a moment. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, from small to big, that they would be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, alone are both our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this year for Advent, we are looking at a Christmas carol. Charles Dickens wrote this story back in 1843, and it instantly became popular. So get this. It was first published on December 19th. And by Christmas Eve, just five days later, it had completely sold out. 6,000 copies were gone. The following year, 13 more editions would be published, and all of those sold out. It was instantly a hit. Now, as you all know, A Christmas Carol is the story of the redemption of Ebenezer Scrooge. It is the regaining of his heart as he learns to love again. And so when we meet Scrooge in the first stave of our carol, The message that we get is keep your distance. Scrooge wanted more than anything in life to simply be left alone, to go through life on his own terms. That's where we meet him, cold, hard, and alone. Last week, or in the second stave, Scrooge met the ghost of Christmas past, who is going to lead him on a journey through past Christmases. That particular journey opened Scrooge's eyes to the reality that he has the power to impact others. In his own life, he saw both how he had left out, how he was left out, and how he had been invited in. And through that image, he was led to the realization that everyone All of us have the ability to make people happy or unhappy, to make their service light or burdensome, a pleasure or toil, simply through our words. We must remember that our word, much like God's word, has power. It can completely transform someone's day. So following 
his experience with the ghost of Christmas past Scrooge, was conscious of being exhausted. And he was overcome by an irresistible drowsiness and further of being in his own bedroom. He had barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. Now, he will be awoken by our next visitor, who is this giant of a ghost. And if you remember me saying this, A Christmas Carol is actually a really odd Christmas story because in some ways it's more of a ghost story. There's all these ghosts throughout. But anyway, the third visitor is the ghost of Christmas present. And much like the ghost of Christmas past, he too will take Scrooge on a journey. The first stop will be the home of Bob Cratchit or Scrooge's clerk. Now, Dickens wants us to understand very clearly that the Cratchits were extremely poor. This is how he will describe them. Mrs. Cratchit, Cratchit's wife, was dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, which are cheap and make a goodly show for six pence. A twice-turned gown. That is a gown where the skirt and the sleeves and the neckline all have to be rolled and re-hemmed to avoid the phrase in the wear. She didn't have a ton of money. And then to make extra special for the holiday, she would use ribbons to make it more special. One of the boys, Peter, wore Bob's shirt and it conferred He had conferred this upon his son in heir in the honor of the day. And as far as shirts go, it was way, way too big for him. But nonetheless, Peter rejoiced to find himself so gallantly attired and yearned to show his linen in the fashionable park. Bob will enter the house with at least three feet of comforter exclusive of the fringe hanging down before him, and his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and tiny Tim on his shoulder. You know, instead of an overcoat, which men would have worn in winter, Bob had a comforter, an old comforter, part of that comforter, just to stay warm as he traveled through town. But regardless of their poverty, the Cratchits were determined to celebrate Christmas with joy and celebration unlike anyone. So here's how the story goes. Master Peter and the two ubiquitous young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a goose the rarest of all birds a feathered phenomenon to which a black swan was a matter of course. And in truth, it was something very like it in that house. Mrs. Cratchit made the gravy ready beforehand in a little saucepan, hissing hot. Master Peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigor. Miss Belinda sweetened up the applesauce. Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner of the table. The two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves, and mounting guard upon their posts, crammed spoons into their mouths, lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped. 
At last, the dishes were set on and grace was said. It was succeeded by a breathless pause as Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it in the breast. But when she did, and when the long gush of stuffing issued forth, one murmur of delight arose, arose all around the board, and even tiny Tim, excited by the two young Cratchits, beat on the table with the handle of his knife and feebly cried, Hurrah! There never was such a goose. Bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavor, size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. Eked out by applesauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Indeed, as Mrs. Cratchit said with great delight, surveying one small atom of a bone upon the dish, they hadn't at it all at last. Yet everyone had had enough. And the youngest Cratchits in particular were steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows. But now the plates being changed by Miss Belinda, Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witnesses, to take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose... Somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it while they were merry with the goose, a supposition at which the two young Cratchits became livid. All sorts of horrors were supposed. Hello. Great deal of steam. The pudding was out of the copper, a smell like a washing day. That was the cloth, a smell like eating like an eating house and a pastry cook's next door to each other with a laundress's next door to that. That was the pudding. In half a minute, Mrs. Cratchit entered, flushed but smiling proudly with the pudding, like a speckled cannonball so hard and firm, blazing in half of a half a quart turn of ignited brandy and bedight with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding. Bob Cratchit said, and calmly too, that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. Mrs. Cratchit said that now the weight was off her mind. She would confess she had had her doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been flat heresy to do so. Any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. And at last dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, the fire made up. The compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect. Apples and oranges were put on the table and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. And then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth in what Bob Cratchit called a circle, meaning half a one. And at Bob Cratchit's elbow stood the family display of glass, two tumblers and a custard cup without a handle. These held the hot stuff from the jug, as well as golden goblets would have done. And Bob served it out with beaming looks while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and cracked noisily. And then Bob proposed. 
a Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. Which all the family re-echoed. God bless us, every one, said Tiny Tim, the last of all. He sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side and dreaded that he might be taken from him. This is what a joyous celebration looks like. In spite of their poverty, in spite of Tiny Tim's health, in spite of everything, circumstances do not have to determine our mood. The Apostle Paul encourages us to rejoice always, pray continuously, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Not for the circumstances, but in the circumstances. As Scrooge sits there and as he watches this scene unfold, his eyes open even further. His heart will gain a little more warmth. Spirit, said Scrooge, with an interest he had never felt before. Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost. In the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, this child will die. No, no, said Scrooge. Oh, no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race, returned the ghost, will find him here. And what then? If he be like to die, he better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the Spirit. And he was overcome with penitence and grief. Man, said the ghost, if man you be in heart, not adamant, Forbear that wicked cant until you have discovered what surplus is, where surplus is. Scrooge is learning that if we don't take, our, take the time to lift our eyes, to actually see those around us, then we are tempted to say regretful things. Things we wish we will have never said. We are tempted to look down upon others as if they had nothing at all to add to this life. You know, it's only when we see others, when we truly see them, will we recognize them to be human just like us. Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground but he raised them speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, said Bob. I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of this feast. Not everyone would take that toast. 
They were not a handsome family. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof, and their clothes were scanty. Peter might have known and very likely did the inside of a pawnbroker's, but they were happy and grateful and pleased with one another and contented with the time. This truly is an amazing story to read, to see joy in the midst of such poverty and also to see poverty in the midst of such wealth. You know, we read a Christmas carol, and it challenges us to rethink both what poverty and wealth truly are. It challenges all our assumptions. Jesus proclaimed, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Scrooge and the ghost will continue on their journey. They will glimpse a family of miners not minors, but miners. Anybody familiar with Galaxy Quest? Galaxy Quest? No? Miners, not miners? Oh, goodness. We need to do more movies around here. But they, they will come upon this family of miners who are singing joyfully in their house. They will travel out into the sea and come across two men at a lighthouse, alone, solitary, and distant. And in song. Then continuing even further, they will come upon a ship out across the black and heaving sea. They stood beside the helmsman at the wheel, the lookout in the bow, the officers who had the watch. Dark, ghostly figures in their several stations. But every man among them hummed a Christmas tune or had a Christmas thought or spoke below his breath to his companion of some bygone Christmas day with homeward hopes belonging to it. The ghost of Christmas present shows us this universal sense of Christmas, where Christmas means something. Of Christmas bringing forth such joy that the only way to capture it is with song. You know, following the earthquake in Haiti, We had caught up with the previous director of our project. They lived just down from us, just right down from the project. And as we were talking, he reflected on the number of Haitians who had set up camp along the river because their homes had been destroyed in the earthquake. And what he didn't understand was that as they worked, they would sing. These people who had lost everything living down by the river, would still work and sing. He said, you know, in just a matter of weeks, the rains are going to come, and they're going to wash this camp completely away. How can they sing? Because they were content with the time. They were thankful. Joy is not the result of our circumstances. Scrooge had more money than one could spend, and yet he knew not joy. Joy is the result of seeing beyond ourselves. Finally, they will arrive at Scrooge's nephew's house, and before even seeing Fred, a sound is going to catch their their ears. The sound of Fred's laugh. Ha ha! Ha ha! laughed Scrooge's nephew. Ha, ha, ha! 
If you should happen by any unlikely chance to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, all I can say is I should like to know him too. Introduce him to me and I'll cultivate his acquaintance. It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things that while there is infection in disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. When Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, holding his sides, rolling his head, and twisting his face into the most extravagant contortions, Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he. And their assembled friends, being not a bit behindhand, roared out lustily. Ha ha! Ha ha! Ha ha! You know, I love that line. While there is infection in disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Dickens is putting before us the challenge to enjoy life, especially around Christmas when we have so much to be thankful for. As the ghost and Scrooge observe the holiday celebration, Scrooge's name will once again make a showing. Scrooge's niece and all her sisters have nothing good to say, nor any patience for Scrooge. But Fred, Fred will help us to see clearly. He's a comical old fellow, said Scrooge's nephew. That's the truth, and not so pleasant as he might be. However... His offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. Both with Bob Cratchit and Scrooge's nephew, Fred, what we see is that regardless of how Scrooge might have treated them, is all they have for Scrooge are well wishes, not ill. You know, why is it that certain people create such a frustration for us? Why are there people in our lives that drive us just utterly nuts? Have you ever wondered why we wish ill upon anyone? Both Bob and Fred remind us to wish well upon all. To long that everyone might know joy. Isn't that the point? to experience joy and wish it upon every single person we come in contact with. The gospel writer Luke tells us a story, again, one that we are so familiar with, because these are our Christmas stories, the stories of our faith. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good noise that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. All who heard it were filled with joy. God longs that all people would know joy. Do you know what the first hymn in our hymnal is? Do you know what hymn number one is? Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. I don't think it's an accident that the first hymn in our hymnal is to draw our attention to this idea of joy. It's not in our bulletin. It's not going to be up on the screens. But Jerry's going to play it for us in just a moment. I ask you all, pull out your hymnals. Turn to hymn number one. It should be easy to find because it's the first one and it's numbered. Yeah, that, there's always that too. Pull out your hymnals. And as Jarrett leads us in music, as Jackie sings, feel free to either join along or to just listen to the words. Go ahead.
It's an amazing hymn. Fantastic. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love.